Hi, everyone. Welcome to Such a Good Feeling, where I get to talk to incredible creatives about the small moments in their lives that changed everything. My name's Steve Emerson, and my guest today is songwriter, Brit Award winner, pop star, and home interior design guru, Karen Paul. <laughs> How are you doing? Oh you are. I well, saw you had, a, you had a spread in a national newspaper of your home. I did. I did. <laughs> oh, my God. It's just like the best intro ever. <laughs> but it was good. I mean... It's gorgeous, Weirdly, though. the thing that I'm most proud of, actually, right now, is the fact that my house is pretty shit hot. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. So, uh, yeah, so great to see you. Um, we've obviously worked together quite a bit in the past, and um, yeah. I just wanted to talk about kind of the beginnings for you and where the, the, the sort of elements that sort of started to uh, build up to what became your career. I mean, mm -hmm. obviously you know, growing up with a 60s icon pop star dad means there's obviously music everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of stuff was was being played in the house that you and your sister were listening to kind of, you know, when you were growing up before you got, before you started buying your own records? What was the, your kind of mu um, the musical landscape of the Paul household? Well, my dad was like a really big Eagles fan. Oh. And he was also like Neil Sedaka. It was all that kind of stuff. Really weirdly, actually, because um, I guess he's a bit of a rocker, my dad. You know, he's a, yeah, he's a rock and roll person. Yeah. So he yeah. loves that kind of stuff. He had like a massive... Um, it always had big American cars that had no room in the back. So me and Shelley were like little sort of, <laughs> you know, desperately trying to, <laughs> trying to see over the, the front sort of thing. And dad's there like, you know, stretched out listening to, you know, some big Eagles classic. And we just used to listen and sing along to that. In fact, I think the first thing that we really sang in harmony was Take It to the Limit. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was like one of the first things that we that we did together. And then gradually, you know, I always really wanted to be a dancer rather than a singer, but I kind of just got, you know, got carried away with the singing just because Shelley really, really loved singing. And then right. I just, I actually, rather than learn to sing, I learned to sing harmony more than I learned to sing. Because mm. <laughs> Shelley was just so good. I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to have to sort of fluff around that a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Which so, is, well, that says a lot about, you know, your love of harmonies if it started that young. Yeah. I mean, I do, always was looking for a different note to what Shelley was singing because Shelley was always like, ah, in the front, you know. <laughs> so I always was just trying to find something around it that kind of made me stand out a bit. So that was what, that was where I really started to really enjoy finding harmonies and playing around with different sort of, uh, you know, ways to, ways to, make it sound interesting that just aren't, you know, just always along with the, the, the melody. It could be like a, a separate little line that comes in and, you know, you're like, hello. Yeah, amazing. And <laughs> um, did you, when you got to the point where you could actually start buying your own music, you know, that lovely point where you start rebelling a bit against your parents and you listen to the music that they don't particularly like, you know, what, was yeah. the, what were the kind of artists that you were discovering when you were, um, that first time when you got your paper around money or whatever it is and yeah, quite hard to I mean, talk about this now because obviously everyone just assumes that you can just get everything anytime you want. But there was exactly. a time when the music that you listened to was the music that you owned. Exactly. I mean, I always remember from, from really early on when I was like, you know, maybe, I don't know, nine or ten or something, mm -hmm. I was always like recording on a cassette mm -hmm. the charts. Yes. And then I would play back the charts. That would be my sort of thing. So, like, I would um, tape... It, there was a lot of like in those when I was a little bit older actually I was I really got into R&B so it was all like living in a box and all that sort of well, I know that's not really R&B but you know that kind of 
pop soul sort of yeah. uh, angle. I just loved that stuff. But then I, I bought records like like a prayer, um, all of those like early, you know, the the Michael Jackson records and all that stuff that had amazing artwork back in those days, Prince records and stuff. Yeah, I think that's. I think people of a certain age have that thing in common where you know they remember the first time that they almost queued up and bought a Michael Jackson record or a Madonna record, or they just the anticipation of the fact that there was a new Madonna record coming out. And exactly, you know, and the you'd... fact that that particular one, when you opened it, it smelled of patchouli. I was like, oh, oh yes. my god, that's like another level now. Like you really <laughs> brought me into this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but that was the whole experience, I think, of of, of yeah. that. So, what was that? How did you start writing songs with your sister? I mean, was it what was the what was the first thing? Were you just naturally making stuff up? Yeah, we were making stuff up, and we were doing shows for our neighbours and stuff like that. So, we were Brilliant. always trying to sort of think of different songs that we could, you know, start um, new and and different different ideas. Shelley was always writing words. I was always writing words, um, and then you know, our story is kind of weird because. My dad was connected to a few kind of different managers and different producers back in those days that, you know, it was just a, it, to say it was a, an interesting journey would be an understatement, you know, because they were really different kind of guys and we didn't really know what we wanted to do. So we went down a kind of very pop angle of singing. There was a guy who wrote So Macho back in the day. I don't, oh, I don't know if you remember that song. I know the song, yes. But basically, he wrote a song for us called Sugar Daddy. Oh. Um, yeah. And so we sang We sang his song. Okay. And I think that kind of, uh, that was my first moment of like, okay, I'm not doing this. I'm, uh, we have to write our own songs. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of, in a, in a way, doing that made me think, actually, no, I'm not going to do that. We need to think about how we want to be seen. And then I started to really, and Shelley, we really started to think about you're more about where we actually wanted to be, how we wanted to be seen, what we wanted to, what message we wanted to give across. We didn't want to sound normal. We we wanted it to be really interesting. And we were getting into things, obviously Prince was a massive influence. Alanis Morissette then was mm. massive with that album. We were listening to that like crazy. Um, so those kind of influences obviously were massive to us. So yeah, we just wanted to just do something that was... Um, a bit off the wall, really, like nobody else was doing. I bet. And I imagine, I suppose, Wendy and Lisa probably were quite a big inspiration as well. Wendy and Lisa massively, oh, my God. And Martika, <laughs> oh, my God, Martika's, Martika's yes. Kitchen, like my total dream song. And yeah. Love That Will Be Done. Oh, my God. Well, classic. that's just, in, yeah. To, well, I that's mean, both, isn't it? Martika stuff, and Prince together, basically. Oh, I mean, <laughs> all of that stuff was so massively, uh, you know, it was it was in our sort of, DNA almost it was just that was exactly how we wanted to sound we wanted to really uh, explore something different and then we came up with some concepts and and you know we thought pretty hard about how how it was going to be seen and and it and it but it was authentic do you remember the first time because I was actually thinking back I do actually remember the first time I I came back from I was in actually I was in America and I'd actually bought an import of Jagged Little Pill and I yeah. didn't, I, I bought it just before I went to the airport. So I didn't actually listen to it until I got home. And I think I put it in the car. And I remember the first time I heard You Ought to Know. And like oh, my gosh. head basically exploded because I just thought, no, no one's done this. 
Yeah, it was like on another, and her lyrics were like nothing I'd really heard before. No. You know, so that was that was a real eye-opener. I mean, she's just so clever, you know. And the like, songs were just so epic. They had all really amazing choruses, but they sounded conversational, you know, which yeah. was really And cool. that kind of, you know, the Glen Ballard production and everything was just, yeah. it sounded modern and, yeah, no, I, I, to- I totally agree. So yeah. you're... What are your first demos? How are you what with you and Shelley? Are you just literally doing demos with the like guitar and a couple of vocals or did yeah, you have a little we, port a studio thing or something? Yeah, well we had a studio in my boyfriend at the time, um, a guy called Terry Martin, who's still my really good friend. Yeah. Um we had a little studio in his attic and um hence why hence. we called it. <laughs> um and we had, yeah, like a little four track, was it four track or eight track Fostex something? Could have been either. <laughs> I mean, it was very, very basic. Yeah. And we used to, like, post rule levels with all the, the, the rejection letters. And I guess that uh, sperm song, you know, we just used to put stuff down really sim- simple. But because it was really basic, we just used to work up a lot of harmonies to sort of fill up the fact that we weren't amazing at the music side of it, you know. Our demos were really basic. Yeah. Um, and we both sort of learned how to play guitar a bit, you know, so we could, but that's why all of the Alicia's Attic songs are only on like four chords because we could only play four chords. <laughs> yeah, which isn't actually, you know, a terrible thing. Some of the, obviously some of the best songs in the world are on, on, on four chords yeah, and it actually exactly. makes you, it makes you have to work harder with the melody as well. Exactly. And that's when, so then, um, I mean, the story of us getting together with our label, Mercury, is quite a long one because we, it was weirdly through our lawyer, a guy called David Glick, who um, we met. And um, I basically said to the lawyer, look, we don't have any money, but if uh, if anything comes up, we would obviously pay you if, if we get a record deal yeah. kind of thing. And he just liked us and he just uh, introduced us to a few people. One of the guys was a guy called Mark Fox. You know Mark Fox? I know Mark. Uh, who is a lovely guy. And he helped us uh, and put us in touch with Howard Berman, mm. among other people. And then, of course, once, you know, how it was in those days where if one person hears something, then suddenly it becomes a bit of a thing. And, you know, you've got five A&R people knocking on your door rather than none you know so it's, it was just a real it suddenly became a bit of a rat race to get to, to sign us um and we signed with howard who's amazing we still speak to howard these days I and mean, he's just such a lovely guy um and he, it was him who suggested right obviously these demos are not great so we need to get a producer on board and we were like well we don't really want somebody to just like take them and do their thing and he said let's go and meet some people and we met some really great producers brilliant people mm. um and then we met Dave Stewart mm. <laughs> in his flat, um, his penthouse flat in uh, Covent Garden. And I just remember going in and he just, he was just so weird. We, just, <laughs> we were just sold straight yeah. away. He was like, right, okay, go and put that lampshade on your head over there and you sit in the bath and I'm going to take some pictures. It was that kind of thing. We were like, okay. okay. <laughs> and we absolutely loved it. We were like, yeah, we're, we are in with this guy, you know, and, it, that's how it all started. We got, we did, we started really quickly, went into the church um, in Crouch End, which was Dave and Annie's studio at the time, and um, pretty much recorded the whole album there. We did some of the stuff at his house in France, which was amazing. I mean, those days, Steve, is just, they're just, I look back on them as just like, oh my gosh, like, 
we were so lucky to experience that. People don't really experience that in making music now. And and it 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 was just so vibey. We were meeting like going out for dinner with Leonardo DiCaprio and meeting Paul Allen and this person's playing on our track and like really massive. We didn't know who they were, of course, but you know it was just such a big deal and crazy things you know like Michael Hutchins would come and meet us uh meet Dave on his motorbike and we would I would be on the back of Dave's bike and Shelley got lucky and got on the back of Michael Hutchins bike <laughs> and we went driving out and went for lunch out in the middle of South of France you know stuff like that stuff that I just look back on and go oh my god like we had some crazy times and we made an album that we were so proud of as well you know it's just like such a great experience and was it a collaboration with dave as in what was it very much like he'd taken because obviously it was still the songs were the songs even though you said the demos weren't great the songs were great because they shone through taking it to the level of turning them into fully blown productions and pop songs was that something that you just kind of let him do his thing or was it a collaboration a a bit of both really it was a collaboration I mean he definitely had his stamp on it you know and we used to love the fact that he would um he had a couple of really great programmers a guy called Andy Wright who was really really clever yeah and um Ash House who of course, um, mixed yeah. all our stuff but yeah. also was programming quite a lot of the stuff and a guy called Phil Bodger okay yeah I remember him they were all like the the programmers and the sort of the the guys that were actually programming all this stuff up. And then Dave would come in and like play a crazy guitar solo with a mustard pot on his guitar, like sliding his guitar with a mustard pot and pretending he's having some kind of uh, fit. You know, it was yeah. just like, just always put on a show for us, and we were like, oh my god, this is just amazing. Yeah. But it was it was real. Yeah, it was collaboration. We knew when we didn't like something, we weren't. Um, we weren't like super involved musically, but we knew, we would say like, oh no, that we don't really like the sound of that, or we don't really like. And also, we put the vocals down really early. We mm. we wouldn't be like a full track. We would put the vocals down to something really basic, and then they would build the track around the vocals. And I think that really, really, really helped. Yeah. So how was the pop star experience for you was it everything you hoped for was it everything i'm sure in the first album it obviously was because yeah. making the record but then when it came to promoting it was that you know the, yeah. the the kid that was watching top of the pops and wanted to be a dancer and then all of a sudden you're you yeah. know on telly how yeah. did you find it well it was it was really weird because it was mostly amazing because i was with my sister who was amazing and we just are sisters so we were super honest with each other so there was none of that kind of like worrying about what the other one was going to say and like we just we were so joined together that we had so much fun it just went by so quickly but you know they worked us really hard and we were always you know like there would be in a week we would be in like three different countries and I remember things where we would be like the capital like party or whatever it was and then we'd have to fly to to Sweden for a couple of days and then we'd be in Switzerland and then we'd come back to Germany and then we'd be off to Tokyo then we get I mean it was just never ending and so they definitely worked us really hard but I don't know we were young and we just we absolutely loved it I think on the first record we loved it so much and because it was becoming successful we just felt like wow like this is this is just beyond our wildest dreams. So it, everything was brilliant. I, I would never look back and think, 
well that wasn't easy I mean it was hard work but it was just it was just brilliant I mean I look back and think wow it was brilliant it got harder on the second and third album because then we started to obviously think too much about who we were what we wanted to be seen as people think we're Dave Stewart's puppets and all this stuff and we were mm. like well we need to not do that and so we chose on the second album we chose a guy called Mark Platty who is amazing and actually I'm really proud of the second record um but you know it was it was a departure it was something that we wanted to do because we wanted to be seen as people who totally you know organically came up with our own music and wrote our own music because I think throughout the promotion of the first record there was a lot of Dave Stewart chat you know course yeah how did the when you obviously the first record was written in the attic and done on you know dodgy demos and four tracks when yeah. it came to writing album two obviously the writing process changed did did the writing process change yeah it i mean it we tried to keep it as as insular as it was on the first one we didn't write with anybody new hmm. um and we kept it really um really insular as it was except the fact was that by that time I changed my boyfriend yeah. from the boyfriend that was involved in the first album. And so then my second boyfriend, a guy called Jimmy Hogarth, who's now a producer writer as yeah. well, he uh, became involved in my second album. Right. <laughs> so just a slightly different uh, angle. And he was a guitar player. But he didn't have a studio in the attic, but I presume he had a studio as well. No, he didn't have a studio in the attic. But we, I think we, do you know what? We By that time, we'd become really good friends with John uh, Richmond, the designer. Okay. Yeah. And I remember John um, was changing his, doing something, changing one of his um, shops or something. And he had a bit of a warehouse space free. So he said, you guys can use it if you want. You know, you can just get, oh, get in cool. there. And so we set up in, in there and um, it was in Battersea. Yeah. And we set up there and we just wrote most of the second album there. Although when we decided we were going to work with Mark Platty, then we went to New York and we spent like four months in New York, right? Um, not Amazing. writing, but just starting the album with him. Yeah. And that's when we we became really good friends with like Reeves Gabrels. And it was, yeah. it was we, we actually recorded in a studio called The Looking Glass, which mm -hmm. is, um, I think it's Philip glasses studio or something sounds like it yeah yeah um anyway it was amazing and um that then bought out i had um mark had a tiny little guitar um and i wrote the incidentals on that okay brilliant <laughs> so that was like while we were there me and shelly wrote that together and then um yeah so that was like a sort of last minute add-on onto that record so that was super fun um and yeah we had pretty good success from the second album but it was a it was a much more stressful ride you know just because um I think we were just thinking too hard you know we were thinking too hard about it um but it was still really fun so album three that's mainly Bill Bottrell is it who did the Cheryl, Al Cole, yeah, Cheryl so Cole album, record yeah album three basically um you know by that time there was even more pressure yeah <laughs> Um, and we chose Bill Bottrell because, A, we loved Sheryl Crow. Um, and also there was a record out, Shelby Lynn record, that um, yeah, that Howard Berman was just, like, absolutely obsessed with. And yeah. so were we. Um, and so we flew out to California to meet him. And we he lives in a place called Mendocino, um, which is up past um, San Francisco, up 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 the way in the sort of redwood forest and um oh my gosh he was just so brilliant and so he said come here 
stay here for as many months as it takes to make it and we'll make a record here. So we were like, okay. <laughs> um, and that's how that one came about. I mean, there was a lot of writing that we did actually while we were in Mendocino, lots of the, lots of the songs that we wrote, um, you know, for the album work we wrote while we were there and in different situations. Um, but again, it was just, it, it was much more organic process. Actually, we were playing. Bill was really one for like just plugging stuff in and playing and trying to get a live kind of feel like we were all jamming in the room. And sometimes a lot of the vocals would, would stay from that and we just then overdub stuff. So it was something we'd really never done before. But um, I look back on those records, I absolutely love them. There's a song called Pretender Got My Heart that's like one of my absolute faves. Um, and it was just so organic. It just, it just, it, it, you can hear the difference of how we were, I guess, it, how we were recording and also how we were writing. You know, it's just, um, and by that time, there were much more emotional songs as well. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we were just getting older. And, yeah, you know. more life experience and. Yeah. You know, and also having said so much on the previous two albums, you start exactly. running out of the same, you don't want to say the same thing over and over again. Exactly. And, and lots of pressure, you know, there was lots of pressure because, you know, when you're successful on your first record and to a certain extent, second record, you know, it's it's really stressful. You just, you just, you want to do something as good, but you don't want to repeat yourself. And you certainly don't want people, you know, you just, you're kind of burnt by what, you you don't remember the positive things almost you remember people saying oh you just did that because dave stewart told you or whatever yeah and so then it, it spurs you to make choices on the next record that you know whether they're good or bad it's what it's what you do but i absolutely love all three albums and actually i think the third album is just a real little uh, you know i just love it so much did you find yourself when it came to the third record having that kind of horrible moment that often happens where you've done everything so organically over the last two records and all of a sudden you get to that point where you think, oh, we need to write a hit. Yeah, definitely. And do we definitely. need to not write what we want? We want to write what we think other people want. Yeah, and, um, you know, we were so bullshit. We were just like, well, this is a hit, you know, it's the record company. <laughs> and they were like, uh, well, no, it's not actually. <laughs> we were like, yes, it is. It's a yeah. hit. Yeah. So it, there was a lot of that going on. And of course, we just did not want to bow to the pressure, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, we made our choices and we did we did what we did. And I, I when I look back on the singles that actually came out, I think we, we probably could have written better songs, you know. Right. <laughs> if I'm honest. But I do, I I really love Pretend I Got My Heart and I love Push It All Aside. Um, but things like there was a, there was a song called um, Barbarella. Right, um, which I think, which we could have done better. <laughs> <laughs> but as a, as a body of work, you know, obviously it's a three album body of work. To actually be happy and be proud of it, you know, yeah. is, is 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 a good thing. And I suppose there was an an inevitability in a way that it would come to a kind of relatively natural end. I mean, yeah. I presume that was was the your choice, both of you, really, to say, yeah. We've, it we've was, yeah. I mean, we, we got dropped. We got dropped by our record company. You know, that, there was that that horrible yeah, there was that. But moment then... when your manager rings you and says, "Right, you're dropped," and you're like, yeah. "Oh my god, um, what am I going to do?" <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Shelley, Shelley, I think wanted to carry on a little bit more than I did. You know, and I, I think at that point, I was just like, actually, I feel like almost I think an artist sometimes gets to the point where 
it's not like they're not they're running out of ideas we definitely weren't running out of ideas but I felt like our name was tired almost you know and like you get to that point where people are just a bit tired of that thing and I felt like people were a bit like that with us and I just thought I I think we just need to refresh somehow and just take some time out so yeah, that's what we did. We just we just were like, okay, we need to take some time out. And Shelley went straight into a solo thing. Yeah. And I, of course, just, you know, wallowed in my misery for a while and didn't really know what to do. Knew I wasn't really an artist and ugh, it was just so difficult. But I knew I was a good writer. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, we both went different in different ways straight away it kind of shows the different personalities you know Shelley was much more outgoing and knew she wanted to do another record and you know it was great what she did after yeah and who lifted you out of the the wallowingness and sort of gave you the notion of the fact that maybe you could write for other people well actually there's a really lovely story because I remember um I was with Jimmy Hogarth at the time and I was sort of writing songs just by myself um, and thinking, oh, maybe I'll do like a sort of like a collaboration with somebody or, you know, and just trying a couple of things and just nothing really felt right. But I knew that I didn't really want to write with another person because we'd never written with another person. So I sort of was like, I don't want to write with another songwriter who tells me what to do. Like, I don't mm. want to do that. Um, and I remember being really down and another, this is a lovely Dave Stewart story, actually. Dave rang literally out of the blue and said how are you and I said oh not great actually I feel really 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 crappy and I just I don't know what I'm going to do and and he said what are you doing right now and I said nothing I'm just sitting here just you know wallowing (laughs) and he said well um I'm sending a car for you so I said okay so sent a car for me got him the car at the time he was living in Surrey drove down to Surrey And he literally, he got me in his kitchen and he was like, okay, listen, you are a brilliant songwriter and you can write songs for other people if you want to. And you just need to collaborate with other people. You need to have a bit more confidence, stop worrying about it. Um, And he just like drove in this brilliant advice into my head. And I just was like, really, do you think I could like do it with other people sort of thing? (laughs) It's it's so intimate. And And he was like, yeah you can you can do it and that was the moment where I thought okay I'm going to try and start writing with some other people wow that's that that's that's amazing and obviously saying you're going to do it and actually doing it is another thing so how do you facilitate it well I was always quite bullshit with like you know getting in contact with people I still am you know and I Mm. always give that advice to new young songwriters just like you know bombard people I think I don't think it's ever bad no I agree to just put yourself out there and say, check me out, you know. So that's exactly what I did. By that time, I had um, like an option on my my publishing deal with Universal. Um, It was for a really tiny amount of money. And I remember them saying, um, right, we're going to drop you. So I said... I said to the guy who, oh, God, I can't remember his name, one of the guys at Universal, the top guy, um, he said, well, you should write. You should go to Sweden and do some writing. So I was like, what do you mean, Sweden? He said, well, that's where everything's happening right now. There's a place called Chiron and there's another place called Merlin that's, like, really happening. So I was like, okay, Merlin, I was thinking, I was just thinking of um, 
you know, I wasn't thinking of a big house in the middle of, of Stockholm. I, was, no. I, I had sort of big visions of like this. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and get in touch with these guys. Anyway, I basically got in touch with this guy called Christian Wahlberg, who now runs a, a management company called Lateral. Um, and I got through on the phone to him and he said, how did you get through on the phone to me? How, how, you know, who, who are you? And I said, well, you don't know me, but I was in a band called Alicia's Attic and um, I really want to be a writer and I'm really good. Uh, and he said, <laughs> and of course I didn't know I was good at that time. I didn't, didn't think I was good at all, but I knew I'd written some songs, but I didn't have any confidence in myself. Um, but of course, I was just bigging it up to him. And he said, okay, well, um, you can pay for yourself to come here. Come here and you can write with some people here. I was like, okay, brilliant. So I got my own money together and I flew out to Sweden. And um, I never forget the first time I walked in there, they were like, we don't know how you got yourself here, but like, well done for getting here kind of thing. And I didn't know either. I just sort of walked in and was like, hi, you know, I'd never really written a song with anybody else. So I didn't really know if I would be able to do it. But obviously the bravado got me through the door. And then I remember Christian saying, okay, today you're going to do yoga. And I was like, do yoga? What do you mean I'm going to do yoga? And they said, okay, yoga is down uh, in the this hut or this room out here. I was like, okay, thinking didn't bring me yoga mat. <laughs> this is going to be awkward. Um, and then I found out that the two guys that I was working with called yoga. Yeah. <laughs> so I went in and I wrote a couple of tunes with these guys. And actually it was really fun. And I remember just thinking, okay, this is, I'm going to be able to, I think I might be able to do this. You know, this is going to be okay. And then that week uh, came and went and and the songs were pretty good. And then they said, okay, you can come back again. Like, we really enjoyed it, really enjoyed having you. You can come back again. At that point, I'd met Pele Liddell, who then, who was the publishing arm of, mm -hmm. of Merlin. And he was kind of championing me. He'd, he absolutely loved my songs and was like really championing my sort of writing. So he he, he and Christian said, okay, come back out. So I went back out and um, I was again working with the other guy, the guys um, out the back who were brilliant. And um, it was about halfway through the second session and a guy called Corpy, Henrik Corpy came in um, to the session and said, um, are you Karen Paul? And I said, yeah. And he said, um, our top liners just left. We're doing a Danny Minogue session today. Do you want to come down and like fill in? So yeah. I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I do. <laughs> Um, heart sort of dropped to the floor thinking, oh my God, oh my God, I'm not going to be able to do this. And then I went up to the session and of course, like in the main main house, there was like Anders Baggett and Antor uh, and Bloodshine Avant and all of like the really cool producers that were all there. So I felt like I was like, you know, being in, invited into the, the sort of threshold of like, the, proper, the proper part. So I get in and I go into this session and um, Danny was there and we wrote, put the needle on it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so it's just the weirdest story. And because, I remember all, all because someone else had just 
there was there was a place there for you. you just happened yeah, to be there just... and someone else happened not to be there someone and I mean didn't turn up because they had the flu or something and I was like okay and I just I, I was just thinking oh my god I don't know if I can do it and I wasn't prepared at all and I'd never worked with another artist ever and um then I just got pushed into this situation and sh- and I remember just there's um, the two producers, Henrik Korpi and Matthias, um, a guy called Matthias Wallow, who's amazing, had this kind of track and it was just so brilliant. It's like nothing I'd yeah. ever heard. Yeah. And I just was vibing some ideas and they were like, yeah, this is good. And, you know, it just came out. It just came out. And then, of course, after that song, you know, people started getting a bit more interested and Merlin signed me for publishing. And it was just a lucky break. It was a definite lucky break. Do you think being a kind of pop star yourself was helpful in dealing with uh, being in a room with another one? Yeah, definitely. I always do feel like, you know, I'm still, I, I, you know, I consider myself an artist in in that sense. You know, I understand what, how they, what they want to do. And I always try and listen to, to what they, what they want and how, and how they want to be seen and, and certain subjects and topics and stuff so I think yeah I think we definitely yeah we hit it off straight away she's really fun and um she obviously didn't know it was my first time (laughs) (laughs) no but also that's 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 pretty impressive to be the first time and then to come out with you know that particular track which as you say pretty much from the moment people heard it they just presumed you've been doing that for years and that was that was it and you were it kind of mad and then of course the guy um that was the AR guy for Danny Minogue was like um who is this girl Karen Paul who who's done this track you know let's get her to do some more stuff with Danny and then of course then I did a couple more songs on her record on that record and then you know it was because Merlin is is a kind of factory in a way at the time it there were artists coming in and out all the time and I think the other producers were like, hang on a minute, who's this girl? Like, let, let's get her in our session. So then I got invited into a Samantha Mamba session. And then, you know, gradually I'd start getting invited into Bloodshy sessions. And and it just sort of, the ball just started to roll. And then Merlin signed me up, like I said, for publishing. And I became one of the team. That's amazing. All because you had the tenacity to bug someone and save up some money and get a plane ticket. Yeah, absolutely. And I really didn't know if I would be, you know, I didn't know if I would be able to do it. But I just felt like, you know, I've done this by myself for all that time. And, you know, it. but but actually, Alicia said it was really specialised because it was very personal to me. So actually, I didn't know if I could kind of make that move from it being very personal to me to it actually just being personal to the artist or for me to be able to incorporate what they want, you know, because... It can be quite a selfish experience writing when you're an artist. Um, but it worked, you know. It's just like, oh, my God, this is like magic. <laughs> and I imagine when it comes to working with, with artists, especially writing with artists, it, you know, it, it is different every single time. And also you've been so used to writing songs, you know, with your sister and you mm-hmm. kind of have a, probably a very similar mindset. So, mm-hmm. you know, and I know you to be someone that is quite meticulous and quite, you know, likes things to be a certain way um yeah. is there did you find it hard to kind of find that compromise to include maybe three or four other people in the writing process or is it quite easy for you um i think it's i think it's really easy when everybody when you know for me 
you know, co-writing with an artist or not with an artist. Actually, with an artist, I find easier because um, it, weirdly, I think, diff- I mean, obviously every artist is different and every artist has a different, you know, um, kind of ego and what they, how they want to be seen, what they want to do, and everybody's different. But I find, actually, weirdly, the bigger the artist, the more open they are to... Um, kind of a collaboration as far as everybody just wants to get the best result and actually it doesn't matter if it comes from the artist or it comes from the producer or it comes from me it actually doesn't matter who it comes from we just want the best song and I think you do have to drop your ego a bit for that and 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 that's that's varying degrees in writers and actually in artists you know but a lot of people find it difficult to drop the ego enough to kind of let other people in you know and it is it's you definitely have to be able to do that I think. Also, it's great with an artist in the room because especially if someone like Will Young, who you've worked a lot with, you immediately, whatever you, you know, whatever he's going to sing, he'll have a certain way of doing it. So you'd write a totally different song for Will than yeah. you would for Danny because, you know, you've got something and the moment it comes out of his mouth, you immediately know if it sounds good or not. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And obviously these people are amazing singers. So when, you know, with somebody like Will, I mean, we became really, really good friends, me and Will. So actually I knew, I kind of knew what he wouldn't want to sing and I knew the things that he would want to push lyrically. And, you know, he was really involved in the writing himself. Um, But yeah, once they get on the mic, it's just like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that now is sounding like a proper, proper song. Yeah. Yeah, now that's great. So I mean, you're, there's so many. I mean, there's countless, massive, massive songs. You know, around that time, and mm. lots of kind of pop stars, especially you know the, the Danny stuff. There was a inevitability that you were going to sort of stay in the Minogue camp and um, move to her sister at some point. What yeah. was your first? Uh, what was the first time meeting Kylie or working? With, um, was it was it with her or was it a song for her? just trying to think of like the early stuff because I wrote um a song called Sweet Music with her um and that was brilliant oh and also Bloodshy and Avon we wrote like Cherry Bomb and we did Nudity all that lot all those songs Cherry Bomb is is such a cool song we uh we when we did the anti-tour I think we uh I think we might have even we didn't open with it we came close we opened with Magnetic Electric actually so it was a oh, bit of I a I love that song it was I a bit of a I never know why they didn't use that as a proper song like it was a bit anti-tour was a bit of a, a Karen tribute show actually there was quite a few <laughs> <laughs> we kept finding these occasional b-sides and album tracks like, oh there's another one um <laughs> Can you, one of my favourite stories, which I know, but probably not, some people don't, but no, but not everyone does, is can you, uh, can you talk about the story of WOW and how it happened? Yes. Because I love yeah. it. Yeah, well, basically, it, um, we'd done quite a lot of stuff already, Kylie and I, and I remember Kylie saying, um, I really want to go somewhere just really, you know, kind of different and somewhere that's inspiring. So I remember the the record label, I don't know how it all came about, but basically Ibiza was suggested. And we end up going to Ibiza and we drove up uh, to this like super epic house. I mean, it was just really amazing. But it was really amazing, but it was like really eco. So like the loos were all, it was a bit odd. (laughs) It oddly set up. And also like the shower room didn't have any screen around it. So if one of us was having a shower, Right. we'd all have to stay away from each other. You know, we'd like, okay, okay. I'm not going to go past the shower block right now. <laughs> yeah. 
but it was like the biggest, amazing, most amazing house. And we pulled up at this house and we all came in and we were all looking around going, oh my God, this is like amazing, amazing. And then we went out onto the terrace and Kylie was like, oh my God, wow, like, wow, wow, what, like, wow. <laughs> and um, one of us, I can't remember which one of us said it, we said, that's like the perfect like title for a song. Let's write a song called Wow Tomorrow. And we were just laughing. Greg was like, yeah, right, okay. Um, and of course, then we got into the studio the next day and we were like, okay, let's write Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and we did. We that is such a great, great... And I remember halfway through that song when we were saying like, um, you're wow, 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 you know. And I said to Greg, I don't know, like it needs to sort of go like, wow, 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 wow. Like, can yeah. you affect it? Can you make it sound cool? You know, and of course, like 90% of producers would be like, oh, no, that's like it's impossible to do. And, you know, Greg is just absolutely my top producer that I've ever worked with. Yeah. Just literally did some magic thing on it and it just sounded so brilliant immediately. We were like, OK, that's it. You know, yeah. we knew immediately it was just really special. The interesting thing about Greg Kirsten, and not everyone knows this, is obviously... <laughs> He is known as an incredible producer and writer for all these people, but he's musically, he's one of the smartest guys that you could ever meet because he actually, yeah. his history is jazz, isn't it? Yeah, he's, he comes a, from he's a that. Jazzy, he, yeah. he, he's the best pop producer in the world, but actually he's, he's very, in. you know, as much as he's into the technology of being able to jump on the laptop and do what you say, he's also very, you know, he, he, can, he can pretty much do everything, play everything, yeah, but he, he's but, just, he's in, and, he, and he's so fast, you know, he's so fast. He's the, his chords, what he chooses, how he chooses stuff. Also his melody ideas, everything. I mean, he's just, he really is a bit of a genius, you know, and I think that jazz background has just, you know, given him another, that, that all, like you said, he's a multi-instrumentalist as well. So it just, it's, he's just a bit, he's properly well. <laughs> he is properly well. And it was, it's also, as a producer, you know, his attention to detail is amazing. Yeah. But also it, he, it feels like, and, you know, he does take a long time over things, but actually he's very, it's quite instant with him. It's just immediately whenever you listen to any of his, you know, the, the stems from his tracks or everything, it's that there is yeah. not one single sound in there that shouldn't be in there. Right, and yeah. Everything has but, a purpose you know, and he goes to it straight away, basically. Exactly. But the great thing about Greg is that he can make stuff sound amazing while you're writing it, you know, which yeah. actually is a bit of a skill. Yeah. You know, um, it's it's just when you're starting to write something and then he's kind of making it sound amazing while you're writing it, it gives you another level of inspiration, another level of like, what about this? Or what, you know, oh, I see, I see what you're doing there. What about the, you know, and it's just so brilliant in that respect you know he just he he's just always preempting the next move so he's already got a section for you for this bit you know yeah and he, he, i mean i'm just i'm blown away by his by his talent i really am i think that's uh you know that i think that's a really good thing as well there's a we were talking about inspiration and we we're talking about the fact that sometimes a, a deadline or something is good you know to actually have something up and running and quick you know when everyone's just in the mood and vibing on it, you know, they are quite often some of the best songs. I mean, I did hear, and I don't know if this is true, but, you know, if you're talking about big number one songs, I heard yeah. that, that Lola's theme was pretty much done in about an hour. Yeah, it was. It was. I mean, I remember going into that session and just sort of thinking, 
you know, because again, you know, I listen to a lot of old sort of soulful Joy Sims records and stuff yeah, like that. So it, 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 that actually is my bag. You know, I love that kind of stuff. And anybody who writes with me will know that that's my kind of go-to when I, when I get a bit lazy with my writing. I tend to go in that kind of soulful R&B you know, sort of disco-y sort of area. And it's just, I absolutely love writing like that. So it became, it was a really easy write. But I remember just thinking, I don't know if it's very good though, you know. (laughs) And I came out of the session and I rang my manager at the time, Anna. And she said, oh, how did it go with the shapeshifters? I said, yeah, they were lovely. They were lovely, but I don't know if I've done anything very good. And she said, oh, okay, you know. And then, of course, a week later, it had been approved. And then I think, like, literally a few weeks later, it was in the charts and number one. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my gosh. I think, that, I think that's really good, though. I, I, I have this a few times when I've spoken to people, and, you know, and, and I can be the same as well, that sometimes those things that we do that tend to be, like, the biggest and the most successful are the ones that we walk away from going, yeah, it's probably all right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I definitely have that. I mean... And actually, the older I get, the less I know. <laughs> you know, it's it's so weird. I, I feel like I know, but then I sort of don't know because people choose kind of different things to the things I think are great sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not like I don't think they're great. I just don't, I wouldn't especially think that was the hit amongst yeah. the bunch, you know. Um, there are some things you do and you just go, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um and you kind of know that it's going to have a life somewhere. Um, and I do feel like that. I think more and more I'm, I kind of know when things are really good. Yeah. But I don't, I don't think I can still choose. I wouldn't know how to choose a hit. <laughs> no, but I think that's a good, you know, that's why it's, you know, we have a lot of respectful kind of people that actually do A&R and actually can, you know, have what I call punter's ears. You know, I always yeah. say that people like Simon Cowell and, and Jamie Nelson are really good at kind of hearing something as, when it's on the, you know, as they've got great knowledge, but at the same point they're hearing it not not dissecting how it was written or dissecting the rhyme structure or thinking, exactly. of, you know, they're going, do I like it or don't I? And exactly. that's really the most important thing. That's all that Definitely. matters. And those choices, you know, they're important. And sometimes you don't kind of get, get why an A&R person's saying well I like this one because and you're like, oh, you're like I don't really understand why you like that one like why do you like that one and then of course you're proven wrong you know of course everybody else loves that one as well <laughs> yeah it's it, it's tricky I will also say that this you know just to talk about one thing that we we did together one of the most memorable songs that I've I remember just purely because it was uh it was just so much fun and it was when you talk about organically where's uh was when we were part of Kylie Christmas. And I think Christmas yeah. is Christmas till you get here. I think we, mm-hmm. we were at some, and all I remember is just you coming in and just saying, I've got this idea. Yeah. And it just pretty much, I mean, it happened so quickly, that song. So quickly. And I was so in the moment. I was in Christmas. I was, <laughs> it was like I actually... you'd been waiting. This had been within you for your whole life. to <laughs> just write... I am actually a bit of a Christmas, I mean, you know, Let's well, that, do more Christmas because I am into Christmas big time. And <laughs> and those kind of melodies, I'm just like, oh my gosh, like put me in it. I'm I'm in there. So when I got the chance, I was like, okay, I'm what about do it this? All. <laughs> it did, it came really quickly. All, and, all of those harmonies that you were like listening to as a kid and trying, I mean, it all just yeah. happened in the same thing. And you know, because you had a 
you know, especially with the kind of club stuff and everything, there was a, you know, obviously there's an element of cool that comes with your songwriting, which is kind of, it's always a bit contemporary. It's all a bit cutting edge. It was almost yeah. like the shackles had gone off, you know, the, <laughs> yeah. Santa, the Santa hat had gone on. Um, <laughs> and then, of course, you have, you know, Kylie in the middle of it all, just, you know, the biggest Christmas cheerleader in the world. Oh my and, god! And it was so much fun in the studio that day. I just, I just remember thinking, oh, like this is just. I, I think was it in August or something? It, wasn't it was. In, it was the middle of like, August. It was that, boiling hot summer. Yeah. And I always <laughs> say, with any of the Christmas stuff, is is there's that point where you can actually feel that you're getting away with something that you wouldn't ordinarily yeah. get away with <laughs> because of being Christmas. Totally. I mean, it, just it was that the whole vibe. I remember just being so positive, and we. You know, because we did that song so quickly. I mean, I could have written another three that day. I was well, you just did. Like, you wrote a few more. For we that did. Album. We did write. I think we did write a few more. Yeah. I just. I was just so in that moment that that was. Um, yeah. I mean, but any day of the week, I would happily do a Christmas tune. It's like really up my street. That's good. And that was because a... also I'm a massive fan of, you know, those big, like White Christmas is my best, fi- like that's my most favourite film. And I'm a massive musical fan. So Gene Kelly and all, all of the early musical stuff, that's really where I kind of, I just absolutely love that stuff. And I always feel joyful when I listen to stuff like that. Yeah. No, so that's... You know that all of those musical moments, just I can kind of let yourself free with. Um, plus, you know those melodies are just, and the track that you came up with, it was just so easy to write. It, everything was so easy. But it was, it was definitely done for. You know, it was one of those things where we were talking about a little bit before we started recording about songwriters and producers. They always have this thing that they're a bit scared. One of the biggest fears of any songwriter or or collaborator is they're going to be the person that just dries up and has nothing in the session. So they yeah. always they you're always supposed to turn up with sort of a back pocket thing. Um, yeah. But sometimes, you know, it could just be like one melody or one something. And I think when it's like that, that's an organic way of doing it, where it's like, I've got this idea, someone goes on the keyboard, you build up the track from scratch. You know, Absolutely. that's great. But equally you know, you work equally as well when someone will send you almost a finished track and say, here's an instrumental, yeah. I need it to be a song. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I do, I do. Um, you know, obviously work in different ways every day, but um, I've been doing quite a lot of stuff for Asia, for, for the K-pop market. Yeah. And that is um, quite often a sort of finished track. And, um, you know, I really love writing like that. I love just coming up with melodies to a track that's that's already sounding amazing, you know. And the producers for that sort of stuff is that it's, it's pretty off the, off the wall sounding. Yeah. And it, you can be really experimental. And that's, in a way, that's what I've really enjoyed about lockdown, just being able to sort of experiment a little bit at home and... Um, it, 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 certainly for that stuff, it's been it's been really helpful. I do miss being in the room, though. I miss being, you know, sitting with a guitarist and saying, no, not that cold, that cold. <laughs> <laughs> but on the, you know, on the dark, I mean, it's not only, obviously, the K-pop stuff is is something that you've really, really got into um, more recently and had tremendous mm. success at. Uh, how does it work with writing a song that you know if will, is going to be translated? 
Um, well, I te- because I'm such a lyric, I really love lyric. You still tend, go for I it. I still work hard. Yeah, I still work hard at the lyric because I just hate listening back to something that just sounds rubbish lyrically. For me, it's all about the lyric in every song, you know. And yes. Also, while while Asia, you know, do translate, obviously they translate, and sometimes they completely translate. Like we've got a new song coming out um, with a band called Twice that we wrote as a completely different title and they've changed the title and everything's changed, which is like, you know, kind of weird. That's weird. (laughs) That's a bit weird. But equally, with a lot of that stuff, they like to have the concept in place. And then also they do tend to use certain lines and then actually using more and more English lyrics. So it's good to, I think it's always good to just work that bit harder and, and make it sound great in English, you know. Well, also, uh, I think the other thing is, is that the person translating it, you know, having done nowhere near as much as as, as you have, but having kind of been around it a bit is lyrics in K-pop are incredibly important for that market. Mm-hmm. And there are especially certain subject matters and certain things that they want to say. So inspiring them, you know, to actually do yeah. it. And as you say, so many of these artists are, you know, there's a incredible uh, artist called uh, uh, A. Lee who kind of is this incredible uh, young female singer who almost kind of has that kind of Mariah Carey, you know, old school 90s thing back to her. But right. she'll always do, you know, a version in her language and an English version. Yeah, So you don't exactly. want to get caught out. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's what happened with, the, with uh, we had a, a song with a band called NCT recently and we did an English version and delivered an English version obviously and, and it, then it got translated but then they put an English version on on the record so like you said if we'd have not bothered at all then <laughs> it would have been a bit embarrassing so I just always think it's you know I just I find lyric writing to be integral to how I think of my melody so I, I have to I have to sort of put some effort into it because I just can't listen back to it if it's rubbish and actually, a lot of people who write K-pop stuff don't spend time on on the lyric, and I'm qu- quite annoying to them, probably, you know, because I spend longer than I should actually. But I don't know. I'm just, it's just habit, really. You're also quite a big advocate. I don't know if you are so much when it's just you on your own doing it, but you know, you've always been quite a big advocate of getting something going. It's all sounding great, and then you think, oh, it's really, really good. And then you'll just go, yeah, should we just throw it away and start from scratch again and see if we yeah. can get something better? Because I always admire that because sometimes you will and sometimes you go, no, no, what we had in the first place was good. But yeah, you're never exactly. afraid to just get to the end of a chorus and go, yeah, okay, let's just park that and start yeah. again. I mean, I think it's one of the, like, I think it's a good trait to have, but, I you do. know, a lot of, lot of people find that, you know, quite annoying. <laughs> and a lot of, um, a lot of songwriters really just kind of do what they do. Whatever comes out is, is what it is kind of thing. And it's just, that's just not my style, you know. And I think I think we have to always search for the very best thing. And I think it doesn't matter. Like, I don't have an ego about that. So, like, I'm happy to just chuck it away and try and do better. Because I know in my heart when it's not the best I can do. And so it's it's kind of like... I guess it's like doing a painting. You're like, oh, I don't know. The pink on that on that pattern's not quite right. I'm just going to chuck it away and I'm going to start again. And it's kind of like that. It's like just trying to find the best possible thing. And, you know, I'm never scared to bring stuff back, to strip it away or to say, 
even when we finished it to say yeah I love it but I don't like I don't like the pre can we can we think about changing that you know and obviously I'm happy to be outvoted if everybody else thinks it's a great idea but you know normally it it fit like everybody feels the same and it's just whether you've got the balls to kind of take it apart again and I I never mind doing that well, no, the because... people that I work best with don't have an issue with that and don't mind you know a my bossiness and b me just sort of saying well I don't, I don't know if it's actually bossiness I don't think it's bossiness it's just it's just sort of confidence to say I don't know I think we can do better than that I think it's, it, an emo- it's not a bad thing I think it's an emotional attachment I think that's kind of yeah. what it is. You can't just let, you know, there's a very big difference. There are a lot of people that can just let stuff go, but you're just like, it's an emotional attachment to the piece of work that you're doing. Yeah. And and until it's finished, until it comes out of that room, no one else gets to hear it. So you have yeah. an opportunity to make it. Because once it's out and it's recorded, it's there forever. And it, exactly. it, it could mean, haunt you. Know, you. <laughs> to be honest, there, it, it, in some ways it can be to your detriment because, like you said, you know, some of these songs that we don't think are the most amazing sometimes do actually yes. are amazing to other people. So there is that element to sort of bring into stuff. And and also there's the element of, like, you think something's a bit rubbish, but actually the other writer thinks it's pretty good. Yeah. So it, it's just it's a fine balance, isn't it, between, like, not going over the top, but also... I think you know if something feels really good, then let's put let's just make it the absolute best because I don't want to deliver something half half baked. No, you know. And I suppose once you've once you've written this, especially with the stuff you're doing at home, still one of your favourite things to do is start colouring it in with the BVs and the harmonies. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. But then of course I go stupidly over the top <laughs> by myself. <laughs> it's like twenty four piece choir. <laughs> No, but it's no because. But I still think that goes back to your, you know, when you were a kid of loving that kind of harmonising thing, and you know, whether it's a love, you know, maybe some of the stuff you grew up around that your your, your dad was playing, or you know, almost that kind of carpenters esque thing of just yeah. stacked thing, and also, you know, one of the other things that that you do is it's not just kind of big harmonies on one things; it's additional hooks. It's yeah, you exactly. know, it's that that thing it's that textures and and, yeah, and it's I mean, about. Yeah. George Michael used to do it so brilliantly in the fact that there would be a hook and then another hook and then another hook and then yeah, it would all amazing. meld together at the end. And you could hear yeah. them all. Then another yeah. none of them got in the way of each other. Yeah. It, that's genius to me, is, is those kind of things. You know, p- people like Prince, all the, the those early harmonies from the, some of those bands, you know, just was so inspiring. And you know, there's some amazing stuff out there now. Even the current stuff is just so clever. Um, I find new stuff really, really inspiring as well. It's not just throwing back to my old stuff. It's like I, I really am inspired by new stuff, new writers. I just find, you know, the new, you know, because obviously I'm a bit older, I, I work with younger people that inspire me and, you know, keep me fresh in a way. You know, it's just it's important to be open to, you know, not knowing everything, certainly not knowing everything and and being able to just take advice from other people and younger younger kids that I write with are just so good. You know, there's so much talent in, out there. And I think, you know, sometimes I'm just a, an editor in that, some of those situations or, or I'm, I play a different role sometimes, you know. So it's it's just depends on obviously who it's with and what, what artist it is. But it's super inspiring new stuff, I think. When you talk about just sort of finishing up, you're talking about kind of younger people, you're working with younger people, you see younger writers coming up, you know, I'm sure that 
if it's similar to my situation, you know, they will learn from you, you will learn from them, as you were just saying. Yeah, you know, I what so. what kind of advice do you give out to kind of younger writers now, especially with a view of how brilliantly you were able to, as you say, bug people, stay on their radar, you know, yeah. say, listen to me, listen to me, I want a chance, I want a chance. You know, what what's yeah, the advice think, for young songwriters? I think that's actually relevant more than ever, you know, just to be quite sort of bombastic about it and and not be scared to sort of reach out to people especially now we've got social media I mean there's never been a better time for you to get on ra- on the radar of people you know and yeah. you can find people really easily and actually having music on your Instagram people yeah. like me and people like you Steve I'm sure look yes. at, at young people and look at their music and you know that way is the way that we're finding new young writers new young artists new, you know it's we always want to work with you inspiring people. So like, I think definitely put your music up, get, you know, as much stuff as you can on social media, reach out to people. Don't worry about, you know, bombarding people. Cause you know, the, the more sort of, the, the more full on you are about it, the more people take a, take notice of you. It's this, I mean, it's true. Yeah. And I don't think you have to be, you know, I think confidence is good, but at the same point, it's not like it has to be, you know, the the most professional, the most flashiest. That you know, it's just totally having have, having content out there, and you know, there's there's people that that I know that just will put up a verse and a chorus of something, or it doesn't Absolutely. have to be. You don't have to spend a lot of money, but I think, and even just. Uh, I've been sort of saying to a few people recently, just that self-releasing thing of if you've got something that sounds okay, just put it out yourself so it's on Spotify because you never, ever know where it's going to end up. If it ends up on someone's playlist somewhere, Definitely. You, just, you, you, you can only get to a certain level by people hearing you. And I discover Absolutely. new artists every single week. And as you say, they completely blow me away, but I'm not going to see them... Uh, I'm not going to see them or listen to them, hear them on the radio for maybe a couple of years. And also, I suppose the other thing is that as much as you do that, it does take a long time and you do have to be pretty does, committed yeah. to it. Yeah. And also, you know, you come across, you know, obviously artists, but also there's a lot of songwriters out there that are worried that, you know, they don't have a producer to write with if you're a top line melody writer or if you, it, or the other way around, you know, or... I'm a guitarist and I write songs, but I don't have anybody else. It's like you don't necessarily have to collaborate at this point with somebody. You can still do it by yourself. You can still put music out um, by playing a flipping table and singing. You know, you don't, it's not, doesn't have to be fully fledged demos and like really fancy sounding stuff. You don't have to spend a lot of money on equipment, you know, garage, all that stuff is really easy to use. And actually you can be really inventive on it. I think, almost when you don't have loads of equipment and loads of sort of facilities and like we didn't in the early days, exactly. I think you come up with better stuff. You just have to be more inventive with it. And, um, it, you know, you just, it, it's, I think you just need to be able to put yourself out there though. That's the, that's the main thing. Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for chatting to me. I hope you have a, a, a nice day. You've, I'm talking to Karen from her home studio. Uh, oh, you thanks, share, share your home with another brilliant producer and musician so there's guitars on the yeah. wall the house is full yes. of music it's might yeah. be impeccably designed but actually it's impeccably designed with music running through the heart which i think is of course of course yeah so, oh thank you steve i'm really right. glad you're doing this podcast and i can't wait to listen to it myself obviously not my own one but i'm <laughs> really looking forward to hearing all the other people that you've got on i'm sure you've got some brilliant people coming on oh thanks so much yeah it's been fun all right well look thanks so much for this karen and i'll see you soon Thank you.
Bye. Bye.